We are starting a brand new series called A Faith That Lasts. And this teaching set is all about developing a faith that lasts a lifetime. Our church has a very good enduring faith record of you know, people who make profession here and get baptized here typically will continue to follow Christ. But many of us, many of us can think of people, friends, family who have followed Christ for a long time and then begun to wander away. Some of them have left the faith by joining the cult of progressive Christianity. Others have joined the religion of atheism or secularism. Uh, and you know, occasionally they'll come to church and they'll pay lip service by showing up once in a blue moon, but it's clear from their life that their faith is dead. And I think for a lot of us, it's almost spooky. It's like, why does that happen? What makes that happen? And I think the big question I wanna answer in this message set is why do people lose their faith? Why do some people lose their faith? I mean, theologically, we believe that once you're a follower of Christ, follower of Christ genuinely, you can't lose your faith. But from our perspective, we can't tell the difference between a genuine faith and one that isn't. What causes some people to have a genuine faith that lasts a lifetime while others walk away? And that's what this message set is all about. And even if you're not a Christian, especially if you're not a Christian, I think you're gonna find this really interesting. I mean, you're gonna see what causes people to walk away and you might even see what caused you to walk away. I hope that this will be a blessing for you and hopefully you might at the end of it see how to, how to grow a faith again. Many of you are Christians and I think this will be helpful for you if you wanna develop a lasting faith or if you want your kids to have a lasting faith. You're gonna to wanna to lean into this. This is just the appetizer. I always tell people um, church is like the gym. You work out once, you get sore. You come week after week, you get shredded. And I want us in this series, I want us to get shredded together. I want us to develop a faith that is enduring, that is robust, a faith that lasts. This week, I'm gonna let you know what we're gonna do. It's a little bit different. I'm gonna look at some Bible, Joshua chapters six and seven. We're gonna tell a story and then we're gonna make some points. And uh, normally I start with a story and then we look at some Bible. And I know, um, I, I love the word of God. I think it's the inerrant, totally sufficient final authority for the church. But some of you guys, you don't love the word of God. And so you're like, oh, you know, you're gonna start with that. I don't know how I feel. I promise this is gonna be relevant to you. This is gonna speak to you. This is really good, really powerful. I wanna look at the story of a guy in the Bible whose faith does not last. His name is Achan, and we know from his genealogy that he actually comes from a family that is wealthy, probably, and also has a long legacy of faith. Very engaged, very engaged with their equivalent of God in church. His whole family was engaged with God, and I'm sure in no small part because of the way that Achan, as the patriarch, had followed the Lord. He was a part of a intergenerational legacy of faith, and he loses it all. I wanna talk about why. It starts off uh, God one day commanding the Israelites to take a city called Jericho. Some of you know this incredible story, others of you do not, but it's pretty miraculous. God says, hey, I want you to take this fortified city, there's walls around it, it's called Jericho. And they send spies into the city and they meet with a lady named Rahab who is a prostitute. And she lets the spies into the city and in exchange for a guarantee of safety when they come to take the city because um, she knew that the God of the Israelites would prevail. And the spies instructed Rahab to hang a scarlet cord out of their window um, so that when the conquering soldiers see the cord, they would spare the house. The rest of the story is pretty amazing. God told the Israelites uh, they would not have to fight. He said, I will fight before you. I will destroy the walls of Jericho, which was heavily fortified. And that normally to take a fortified city, you can't scale the walls without great loss. It's almost impossible. You need a huge force at that time. And so what they decided, what they would normally do is they would siege the city, which means they surround it and don't let anybody in or out until they starve the people out of the city. They run out of food. Um, but, and, and that takes a year or sometimes two years or even more. Um, but God did a miracle. God instructed the Israelites to march around the city for a week. And on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And on the seventh lap, the walls came tumbling down. 
That's kind of cool. Um, Thomas Jefferson, American president, had a Bible where he famously cut out the passages he didn't think um, happened or didn't agree with. And this the passages he cut out. He said, God didn't make the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. That's ridiculous. In 1950, archaeologist Kathleen Kenyon was excavating the ancient city of Jericho, and she found evidence that the walls did actually come tumbling down. It was interesting. Um, one of the walls had a uh, foundation that collapsed and flooded out, and the city wall did collapse. And uh, she also found evidence of a scarlet cord hanging out a window in one of the intact portions of the wall, which is pretty darn remarkable. Um, the time frame was correct. I mean, it's just, it's cool that it all adds up. I love the Bible. This is one of a million different examples of the way the Bible corresponds with history, archaeology, biology, science. You can see it with your own eyes. God doesn't ask for blind faith. He gives us informed faith. Now, an additional and critical piece of instruction that is a part of this story is the way that God instructed them to take the city. In Joshua 6, verse 18, it says, God said, do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. So normally the way a soldier would get paid um, is they would take plunder from the city and that would be their pay. So they conquer a city. Now, normally if you're gonna siege out a city, there'll be great wealth to be gotten at the end of the campaign, but it would take a year or two, right? So that's a long time. The soldiers really want this wealth. God says, hey, it's gonna take you a week, but you're gonna leave the treasure for me because I'm doing the work. You're gonna leave it for me. Don't take any of it. And if you do not listen to me, I'll destroy your family and you're gonna bring trouble on all of Israel. He's super clear. He says, everything made of silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. God's super clear. Leave this stuff in the city as an offering to me. And the Israelites are about to embark on a great campaign. God says, I'll bless you. I'll take care of you. He always has taken care of them. But he says, I want you to trust me with your first. And this is, you know, part of where the tithe comes from, right? We give God our first fruits, the first tenth. God looks at them and says, hey, I want you to trust me with this area of your life and every area. And what's also crazy is um, the same archaeologists, when excavating Jericho, found jars full of grain and other valuables in the city. And this, is, this doesn't happen in the world of antiquity. When you find a fortified city that has been conquered, you find no grain in the city because they've eaten it all. And if there was grain left in the city, it would be taken because food is valuable. But this city, um, she found it burned, but not looted, not plundered, exactly as God described, which I think is really interesting. It's like, wow, like so uh, archeology span matches up with the word of God. It's like, yeah, the Bible is the only holy book that does this. Definitely not the Quran, definitely not the Book of Mormon, but the Bible, yes. Now Joshua 7 verse 1 tells us, it says, but Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Why would Achan do this? He comes from wealth. He's already rich. He's the leader of his family. And God was super clear. The consequences were made clear. Your family will be destroyed. You'll bring trouble on all of Israel. Achan doesn't care. He doesn't care. He just shuns what God says and he sends it. Why? You ever wonder what was going on in his head before he made those decisions? You don't have to wonder super hard. You kind of already know. God wants me to be happy is what he was thinking. God doesn't want all this to go to waste, you know? What does he say? Imagine how much I could give. If I just did this thing, imagine how I could serve the Lord. And you know, it just doesn't feel right to me is what it doesn't feel. I mean, God's not gonna ask me to be unhappy. That would be so bad. God wants me to be happy after all. Can I do this for me? God won't mind. God will just forgive me. As a consequence of Achan's actions, exactly as God had spoken, Israel is defeated in their next battle against the city of Ai. And it's a shock to Joshua, their commander. You know, when you see God do a miracle, 
It's like, oh, God's amazing. I'm never going to doubt again, right? Joshua is so confident after he sees God slayed at Jericho. He's like, imagine, imagine he can run through walls. They literally did run through walls. I mean, it's amazing. You know, they go to the next city and they get routed. And Joshua just, he doesn't know what to think. He's so upset. He falls on his face before the Lord. Lord, what are we going to do? And it says, but the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things I commanded must be set apart for me. They've not only stolen them, but they have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. They lied. That is why. The Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. It's interesting. The implication here is it wasn't just Achan. Achan led his whole family, his whole family to be complicit in that. And it often starts that way, doesn't it? When a patriarch begins to compromise in his faith. When the matriarch says, oh, that's okay. I mean, we don't have to go. We don't have to whatever. And it's all right if we just do this. And we just, and Achan doesn't confess. He gets caught. God prophetically, in fact, reveals that it was Achan. And when he's confronted, this is what he ultimately says after being totally busted in verse 21. He says, among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 20 or 20, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. And I love this last line. This is such a good line. I want you to remember this line. I wanted them so much that I took them. Have you ever been there? You know the will of God. You know what he teaches, but you see something and you want it. You want it so bad, you just take it. How much would it take for you to give up your faith? For Achan, it was 200 gold pieces, an outfit, and a pound of gold. For some of us, it's just our feelings that are really strong, that disagree with God's plan. For some of us, it's just a cute girl. It's just friends with benefits. It's just this thing, and I wanted it so much that I took it. You see something you want so bad, and you know it's not right. And you know that God doesn't want you to do it, but you do it anyway. You know, it's, it's often just a little thing. It starts with a little thing. It becomes a bigger thing and a bigger thing. And eventually you end up in a place you never thought you'd be. I never thought I'd be in this place. I never thought I'd do that thing. And somehow your faith didn't last. I don't think Achan, as a child, thought, you know, I'll be the one to lead my family into disgrace and destruction. I'll be the one to destroy a generational legacy of faith. But he did it through little compromises that became bigger and bigger. You know, his story is so common, isn't it? How many people do we know? This is their story. You watch it in their life. I want to talk about why this happens. I think all of us want to know, why did Achan's faith not last? What can we do to have a lasting faith? And to do this, I've got to share a car story with you. And you might be sick of my car stories. Like, pastor, I mean, please, you know, I always love talking about cars. And to be clear, some of you have asked, the church takes care of us financially. That's not the issue, okay? I can afford decent cars. I'm just so tight, I squeak when I walk. I don't like spending money, okay? And uh, plus, I need sermon illustrations. So I drive complete doctors. And uh, in a stretch a few weeks ago, I had five breakdowns in three weeks, okay? Wayne at WD Auto calls me his best customer. He's like, John, I have your number memorized. You know what I mean? Like, you are my best customer. He gives me like a mug, a cooler, all this different stuff. But... Five breakdowns, three weeks. I drive three cars. They're all trash. And uh, it's because typically I need to have a spare. Right now I have two cars that are catastrophically broken, which is really frustrating. Down to one car. It's like, oh, this is the worst. But anyway, about a year ago, I upgraded big time. I had a friend hook me up with a super sweet deal on a 2010 Toyota Camry. And he really blessed me. I'm super grateful for it. Now it had a bit of a rough past. It's the newest, nicest car I've ever owned. But it had a bit of a rough past. You know, a body panel that didn't match. It came from Minneapolis, which is the worst city. I mean, the worst city for so many different reasons. 
and, uh, you know, super corroded because it's a Minnesota car, you know, so much salt, absolutely corroded on the inside, whatever. Uh, but this thing is a ripper. My friend that I bought it from made this thing so cool. You guys are gonna love this. He put a four by four badge on the back. That's gotta add at least 50 horsepower. Come on, tie the camera. And then if you know what this is, Cummins turbo diesel right there. I should hood stack that thing, except it's just, it's just a badge. It's not actually, it doesn't actually have that. But all the good old boys are like, yeah, all right, love that. I get more thumbs up and double takes in this car than I would if I was driving a Corvette Z C8. You know, everybody's like, yeah, all right, yeah. You know, trying to race me in it. I'm like, I can't, it doesn't, it has nothing. <laughs> it would be cool if it was rolling coal though, but I'd have to like cut a hole in the dash to fit that Cummins block in there. But anyway, the other day, I'm on my way to an important doctor's visit. And this is my one reliable, my cars are in such a state that if I have an important visit, I need to drive the reliable car. You know, I need to select, like this one might get there. You know what I mean? And this is, I don't go north of the river. I don't drive far very much, but I gotta go north of the river. You know, I'm this big deal, go up north, you know, going up to Valpo. And uh, I'm driving on 49, it's 65 miles an hour, and she just quits, shuts down. I'm like, oh no, you know? So I glide to the side of the road, I'm cranking her and cranking her, she won't start. So I pull out my trusty scan tool which I have on hand at all times. And the scan tool is something that I put into a port and the car tells me what's wrong. And it tells me everything's wrong, okay? P this, P that, all the P codes. It's like, oh, this ain't good, everything's broken. And at what state of life am I in where I carry my car scanner like it's my wallet? I'm like, oh, forgot my car scanner, gotta grab her up and put her in the car, make sure I got it, right? But anyway, this is an important doctor's appointment and I'm two miles from the doctor's office. So I literally run the rest of the way in my clothes. Like I'm just running. My, uh, I got these like medical DVD records and a, a folder of records I got to bring there. And I'm busting my middle-aged behind to the car dealer and I pull into this office and I just look like such an idiot. Like I'm so sweaty, I'm like doubled over, out of breath, look like I'm a goonie, you know what I mean? Like it's just, I had covered in burrs because I thought, oh, I'll just cut through the woods right here and over this little ditch, my shoes are squelching because I didn't quite make it over the ditch because I'm 38 and didn't jump quite as far as I needed to. Finish my doctor appointment, and they all, they're like, this guy, you know what I mean? i like, I know, you should come to my church. No one's perfect, everyone's welcome, clearly. <laughs> and I have to run back, and I get a call from Cheevers, and they're like, hey, we're just a few minutes out. I said, okay, no problem, I'm just a few minutes out too. You're my only ride back. Christian's like, dude, figure it out, right? So, <laughs> I the tiger's playing in my mind, all right? Dun, 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 dun. And I'm running full speed. I run those two miles, and listen, I used to be a lot faster, but I do it in 13 minutes. I get back, I'm like, that's what I'm talking about, right? 38, four kids. I'm also thinking all of my decisions have led to this point. You know what I mean? Like this is, you ever been at that place in life, just out of body experience, it's like you're an idiot. Anyway, I make it back, and here we are putting around the roll off. Thank you, Mr. Cheever, for taking care of me. And eventually, a um, bunch of people, but Doug helped me diagnose it and chat GPT, ironically enough. But um, ladies, don't zone out here because this really matters. This is important part of the analogy. Uh, this is probably a little more tailored for men, but ladies, this is gonna be a life-changing analogy for you too. The problem with my car is something called the ECU or the engine control unit. And uh, this is an ECU. This is, this is what controls everything in the car. Okay, the car can have a great engine, great transmission, but if the computer, and there's just a computer in here, if the computer ain't right, the car ain't running. That's it. This is the authority that controls everything in the car. Now, my ECU, in retrospect, I didn't realize it, but my ECU had been showing signs of failure forever. Now, naturally, I ignored the signs. When you drive cars like I do, you ignore the signs. Check engine light was on. It was flashing, which is a new thing that it does, you know, and I just ignored that. Traction control, on, ignore that. Misfires, who cares, send it. Odd gas mileage, doesn't matter. Weird smells, it's just fine. Strange sounds, turn up the music. Idling weird, searching, just ignore it. Tough to start, crank it longer. That's why you have a bad you know what I mean? Give her some gas. America. 
or Japan or whatever it is, Toyota, it's fine. Anyway, it was getting worse and worse over time until I was stranded on the side of the road. Everything in the car was fine, except the authority that controlled it all. The ECU is the authority, the Lord, and the leader of my car. And what happens to these things, one of two things, one of two things. Oh, I got to switch hands. It's bad. Okay, got it. All right. One of two things. First off, these front connectors here, there's hundreds of little pins in here. And this connection can get corroded, just a few pins. And when a few pins get corroded, a few parts of the car will stop receiving signals from the ECU and a few parts will begin to fail. You get these bad connections. The other issue that can happen is these can overheat and you melt the internals. You melt them down on the inside and they stop working. They usually don't fail all at once. They start failing slowly over the course of time. Now, I think you can get where this is going, but we have an ECU for our faith as well. The ECU of our faith is God. It's God. He's the authority of our lives. When we become Christians, we invite God to be the ECU, the leader, the Lord of every part of our life. And he reveals his authority, sends his signals to us through his word. And I think a lot of people don't have ECU or don't have a faith that lasts because their ECUs are failing. They don't even realize it. I mean, all the signs are there, but they just turn the music up and ignore all the signs. And the problem is from the outside, the faith looks good. I mean, from the outside, my car looked great. They go to church, the engine looks good, they're engaged, they volunteer, but the ECU is failing. I think there's a lot of people who claim to follow God with failing ECUs. And just like with my car, we ignore all the signs until one day we wake up and our faith is dead. Where'd it go? What happened? I wanna talk about two signs that your ECU might give you to let you know your faith is failing. And the first one, obviously you guys will get this, you, you got some connections that are failing. I showed you already these areas on the front, you get one or two pins that get a little corroded, a little moisture gets in there and it starts to corrode that pin. Specific segments of your car start to lose their connection to the ECU. And this is exactly, exactly what happens with our faith. At first, we love God so much, but over the course of time, over the course of time, a little bits of moisture, little bits of rebellion, little bits of doubt, little bits of selfishness, little bits of self-indulgence begin to corrode our connection to God in specific parts of our life. We just get busy. And we miss the fact that God has stopped sending signals to us in this area of our life. We don't even, we don't even care. We just, we miss it. We miss it. And the result is brokenness in our connection with God in some area where we don't listen to God's authority. We stop listening to God and the car of our face starts to sputter. It starts to misfire. It's easy to ignore. You know, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's, it's easy to ignore because in most places we're good. I mean, you still follow God at home. You still follow God at church. You still follow God at work, but you've got a bad connection in a specific area. Maybe it's when you're driving your car or golfing Ugh. or at a wedding or at a reception or at a party with friends or you're away at college or you're on a trip. There's just an area where you have stopped receiving a signal from God because you have allowed your connection with him to corrode in that specific area. And you wake up the next morning or the next day and you wonder what happened? How did I end up here? I mean, I never thought, I mean, I gave my life to Christ and I, I mean, I knew he was real and I knew I'd never doubt again and his presence was palpable and powerful in my life. I think Achan had some bad connections with God. The Bible doesn't mention much about him prior to us hearing about him in Jericho, but my presumption is that he had some connections compromised before Jericho. He'd been making, I would presume, little bargains here and there that were not on the up and up. And he allowed his greed and his trust of God financially to corrode. And it led to this big 
failure, his big failure. ECU of your faith starts failing when the connections get bad. The second way the ECU fails is um, when the heat of your feelings burns the ECU up. This is the common failure for ECUs. They get hot for various reasons. You can see all the different cooling apparatuses on this ECU. It gets hot and it melts down and it slowly starts to fail. When it comes to our faith, the heat that destroys the ECU is definitely our feelings. See, God has a will and a plan for our life. It's super clearly communicated to us. The, the, the word of God is very clear. A lot of times people overcomplicate it and they have these crazy interpretations, very clear. What happens is the intensity of our feelings begins to supersede and override what God tells us. And it always starts, it always starts with a bit of a wishy-washy attitude towards God's plan for our lives. We know what God teaches. We know what he says, but I really don't like that, you know, that he teaches that. And I love God in all these other areas. I just don't like that one part of what God teaches and whatever. And I mean, I could take it, I'm just not gonna teach. I'm just not gonna whatever. I'm just not gonna think about that part. I just don't trust God and our feelings grow stronger and stronger and our feelings begin to melt down God's authority in our life. We stop listening to God. Usually it manifests in feelings about God's plan for humility or God's plan for exclusive salvation by faith through grace in Christ alone. Maybe it's God's plan for compassion and grace or in regard to God's plan for human sexuality and gender. Sometimes it's God's plan for marriage and dating or finances and forgiveness or human life. When I see a faith that does not last, it's almost always precluded by a wishy-washy faith. Our feelings get super strong and they melt away God's authority in our life. This is what we say. This is what we always say. Oh, I prayed about it. Pastor, I prayed about it and I really feel like God made an exception for me. I really want this thing. I want it. I looked at it and I saw it. What did Aiken say? And I wanted it, so I took it. I feel so strong that God wants me to be happy. God wouldn't want me to be happy, unhappy, you know, trapped in a loveless marriage. You know, it's just friends with benefits. It's just a thing. I mean, he's just gonna do this deal. It's just one time. It's just a little bit. It's just a thing. And whatever the thing is, we tell ourselves, uh, whatever the thing is that we tell ourselves, ultimately what we're saying is my feelings are gonna supersede God's authority in my life. I'm the authority now, not God. I'm God. God is just my servant. I'm the ECU. And we burn God out of our life and burn him out of our heart. And it starts out as a wishy-washy faith and we rebel against God and we hate his authority and it ends up with us shutting down the ECU of our faith as we melt him out of our heart. And I think this is what happened to Achan as he stared at that treasure that he wanted to take. His feelings in his heart as he eyed that treasure and he stepped outside of God's plan. He wanted it so much that he took it. I wonder if anyone here today is living in that same place. I understand. I mean, our feelings feel hot, don't they? It's a forbidden romance. It's the grip of greed. It's the rule of rebellion. It's the allure of selfishness. And it's melting the ECU of God's presence from your life. I wanted it so much that I took it. You never thought you'd be here. Most people don't deconvert because of a lack of evidence. There's overwhelming evidence that the God of the Bible is the one true God. It's feelings, fundamentally, that draw us away from our faith. So how do we deal with the ECU of a failing faith? Because a lot of you are like, all right, Panther, I mean, this is, it's a little close to home, you know? I see some things, what do we do? What do we do? And what you do is you begin by looking for symptoms, symptoms. Most of us do what I did with my car. We just ignore the problems. We just send it. We just turn up the music. Oh, I love God so much. And you know, I'm never going to turn away. And I'm, you know, I'm good. I got a faith at last. You know, I mean, it's going to be good. I mean, this message series is good for other people. It's not really good for me. You know, I mean, I really, I mean, I have this conversion or my parents, generation, and it's all good. It'll get me there. 
What we need to do is really ask, is my faith healthy? Am I submitted to the authority of God? Do I seek God's will and ways in every area of my life? And what I want you to do is look for the two primary areas of failure, bad connections and hot feelings. Let's start with bad connections. If you have a bad connection with God, I want you to visualize it. I want you to actually call it out for what it is. I want you to think, because we don't even think about it. We just disconnect from God in an area. We didn't realize that God, we stopped receiving his signals in that area. Make a list of the areas you don't connect with God. For most of my life, I mean, I've been pretty connected with God. I am a pastor after all. Just kidding, I I struggle in a lot of different areas. One of the ones I realized, especially last night as I was driving back from a wedding in Illinois, is that I lose my mind when I'm driving around Illinois drivers. They are just possessed by demons. No, I'm kidding, that's mean. But it's hard. You you drive on 8094 and it's like, what in the world is wrong with you guys? Be nice, oh my goodness. And I'm just getting mad and I'm thinking the worst, most vile things about human beings made in the image of God. And they're coming here. No one's perfect and everyone's welcome, guys. That's what it is. But listen, I just needed to realize, like, honestly, honestly, my heart is in a bad place behind the wheel when I'm driving up to Wheaton to see my brother when I'm in Illinois. And I need to say, God, before I go there, I recognize that in this tiny little area of my life, I am disconnecting from you. And I choose to forgive these people before they offend me. I choose to forgive them. I'm praying for those who persecute persecute me. I'm loving my enemies. Like, I'm not gonna give my power away to these people. God, I'm trusting you you. I need to name that area. I need to visualize that area. I need to give it back to God. Where in your life are you not connected to God? I mean, driving is a little thing, but we have bigger things. I have bigger areas. Maybe it's a party, a wedding reception, or golfing, or on the internet at night and nobody's looking. There's different areas of our life where really, if we think about it, we disconnect with God. And what I want us to do is say, God, I invite you into this place. I invite you into this place where I become an ungodly person. I'm going to honor you while I'm there just like I do in every other area of my life. And what you're doing is you're cleaning off those corroded connections and you're getting reconnected with God. That's what I want you to do. Second area of your life is when your feelings, when your feelings disagree with God. What I want you to do is meditate on eternity. Meditate on eternity. You know, our feelings can feel really strong. I mean, does God really want me to be unhappy for the rest of my life? Does God really want me to do that? I mean, it's just so hard and I really want this thing and I want it so bad. And you know, do I have to really, you know, I've given God so much. I mean, I've kind of already given him enough. Wants me to be faithful for years? What I always say is meditate on eternity. You know, it's interesting to think about our life compared to eternity. I heard a lady say the other night, eternity is like, it's like driving in the rain on the freeway. You know, you're going 70 miles an hour and you go under a bridge and the rain just stops for that split second and then it starts again. That's what our life is compared to eternity. It's that split second under the bridge. I mean, it's nothing. It's an eye blink. And we sit here and we're like, oh, it's so long and I can't trust and our life is a mist. It's here one moment and gone the next. And when you think about your feelings in light of eternity, it just changes things. You gotta meditate on eternity. I wanna close with a story about eternity. I said that my car broke down. I was on the way to this doctor's office and I had to run to the appointment because it was an important neurology visit and neurologists are notoriously hard to get into, but I had to see him um, to get a second opinion about a cyst in my brain. And, uh, you know, they were... They were very concerned about it. You know, they discovered it years and years ago. Um, I probably was born with it. But um, on the day that my second daughter, Hermione, was to be born, um, I had these splitting headaches. And I was like, oh, Kristen, my head, it just hurts so bad. It, like, I have this aching inside of my head. She was like, do you have a headache? And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I have. Because I don't normally get them. And they were concerned because a man who doesn't normally get headaches suddenly gets these horrible ones. They're like, we got to do a CAT scan. 
So I went in there to get a CAT scan the day Hermione was supposed to be born, and uh, my wife was actually in labor that day. And I said, you're fine, you're tough, right? I gotta get my brain, you know, I got a headache. You know, I've had Charlie horses, you're fine, right? So I go in there, I can't bring my phone in to the CAT scan, but I tell the operator, I say, hey, look, here's my phone. My wife is pregnant, she's in labor, she's due today. If you see a phone call from Slamra McNugifart, that's her name, in my phone, not in real life, you gotta let me know, okay? You gotta let me know, because I gotta go, because she's gonna give birth. Then I said, bro, you're gonna let me see my brain, right? And he fist bumps me, he's cool, like fist bumps me. He says, absolutely, I'll let you see your brain, cool. All right, well, anyway, I get in the brain scan, and this guy comes out, after we're done, and he is white as a ghost. He's like, ah, clearly terrified. He said, where'd you say your head hurts? I said, right here. Oh, uh, okay. I was like, uh-oh. I go, you gonna let me see my brain? He goes, ah, no. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you need a brain scan? I mean, you just fist bumped me and said, yes. I said, why not? He's like, well, you might have questions. I was like, questions? Like, why would I have questions? He goes, a doctor is gonna call you on your way home. I was like, on the way home? He goes, oh yeah. And then he said, when did you say your baby was due? And I was like, bro, today. Like I said, today, like what is wrong with you? We just talked about, it. well, a doctor called me and uh, let me show you what they found, okay? This is my brain right here. And here's a cyst in the brain, right? This part, pretty hefty. And when I saw this the first time, I was like, I'm dead for sure. Like I'm gonna die. Like that's, you don't live, that's a big, that's a big hole in my brain. And it's a scary but freeing thought. You know, when you realize, okay, I'm a dead man, I've got weeks, months, I don't know, but I'm gonna die. Up to that moment, specifically in my life, there, there were some things I was really worried about with my feelings. I was. I was upset about some things. I wasn't sure if I, and it was, you know, God and I were in a fight about my feelings. And all of a sudden, in that moment, I didn't care about my feelings. I cared about meeting God and looking full in his wonderful face. I knew that in that moment, this last issue, with the ECU God in my life was resolved. I mean, I was preparing to meet the God who laid the foundations of the earth as the angels rejoiced. And the mist of my life didn't matter. My feelings didn't matter. This God made everything. And who am I to say, oh yeah, you know, I don't like how you do this. It's like, it doesn't matter. My life is an eye blink in light of eternity. And when I thought about the fact that I was gonna die, I mean, all these things, all the things of earth, the old hymn goes, grow strangely dim in the light of God's glory and grace when you look full in his wonderful face. Something doesn't come from nothing. We don't follow the religion of atheism. Atheism is silliness, silliness. We can't ignore data, facts, science. I don't have enough faith to follow that religion. You will, you will meet God at the end of this life. And 10 years later, I'm fine and it's stable. And I get measured every once in a while and it's still stable and they always get nervous because it is, it is a big hole in my brain. My brother says it's why I'm the dumbest one in the family. But listen, every time I get swept away with my feelings, I look at this picture and I remember I am gonna meet God. Like I might have feelings, I might have whatever, but in the eye blink of this life, I will look into the face of God who made it all the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God of the universe. And is it in his infinite glory and wisdom, so much easier to trust him. Are you ready to meet God? Is God the ECU of your life? Where in your life are you like Achan? I wanted it so much that I took it. Do you have a solid connection to God in every area of your life? Do you trust him? with your feelings. Because someday, someday I want you to understand this, your feelings won't matter. Whether it be a heart attack, 
cancer, cyst, old age, congestive heart failure, car accident, whatever it is, we're all gonna die. I might not die of this brain issue, but I will 100% die. The death rate in America, despite our wealth and healthcare system, hovers right around 100% for everybody. So I wanna ask you, what does the ECU of your faith look like? Are you submitted to God as leader and forgiver? Is God the authority in your life? Is he the Lord of your life? Or are you making him a tool that you use? So many of us, we believe in God, but listen, the devil believes in God. The difference between a devil worshiper or a self-worshipper and a Christian is the Christian says, God, you are the ECU of my life. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And I want us to really evaluate our lives right now and think about who Jesus really is to us. So to end this first message of this series, I'd like to ask heads to bow and eyes to close, just in a moment of privacy and concentration, to meditate on our lives out of respect to our neighbors. Even if you don't believe in God, I want you to meditate on your life. Who is the ECU of your life? Who is the authority of your life? Are there areas of your life right now that you're not connected to God? Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would bring to our minds right now places in our life we are not connected to you. We're living in rebellion from you. Would you just powerfully, palpably, tangibly fall afresh on the people of our church? Show us areas of our life where we are not submitted to you. Convict us. For some of us, things are coming to our minds right now. And you're seeing these areas and, oh, you love God, but you are not following him in these areas. For some of us, it's every area. God, would you show us areas of our life where we are allowing our feelings to melt you out of our life? If you are rebelling against God, melting God out of your life, or there's areas of your life you've lost connection right now, would you just visualize giving those things to Jesus? If you mean business with God, if you're convicted by this message, you can pray in your heart with me. Lord God, I give you the areas of my life I've been rebelling against you. I trust you with my feelings. I submit to your facts. I submit to your authority. I submit to your leadership. Every area of my life is yours. God, I repent of disconnecting from you in these areas. And I want you to just, in your heart, you just say those areas, driving in Illinois, going to parties, whatever it is. God, I give it to you. I give it to you. I give it to you. You're the ECU of my life. You're the Lord of my life. You're the Lord of our church. You're the leader of all things in all areas. We trust you. We believe in you. And we submit to you as our leader, as our Lord, as our authority in every area. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said amen and amen.